Welcome to Kick-Ons, the pop culture after-party for people who need just a little bit more. We're two friends, Jason and Steph, and we aren't quite ready to sleep on all things pop culture. Welcome to Kick-Ons, because the party's not over. The night is young, no we're not done. Party back at ours, everybody's welcome to the kick-ons. You're welcome. Welcome to Kick-Ons, the pop culture after-party for people who want just a little more. Jason, we have returned to Wellington from the gorgeous city of Wanganui. And we have been practicing saying that so many times, the whole ride yeah. to Wanganui. I was saying it over and over again. We Googled the history. We Googled the the debate over the spelling of the name. Yeah. It's so interesting. What's the debate of the spelling of the name? I feel no clearer, really, about um, what should be happening. Well, what should be happening is you listen to the people yeah. of the land yeah, and okay. they tell you yes. and that's what you do, yeah. but that's not what happened. Yeah. Well, okay. it is what happened, but... But the article we read was also not what... <laughs> and it was also from, like, 2011, I'm going to say. We are full-on jet setters. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I'm t- exhausted. I'm really tired. <laughs> Also, like, I'm fueled by all the fun things that we've been up to. Yeah, there were a few times during our weekend that we were like, who are we and what are we doing? We are 24601. <laughs> but we went to Wanganui for a very special reason, didn't we? Yeah, and the reason that we went to Wanganui, it was almost by fate that we Oh, it was by fate. Should we run down that story yeah. of the fate? We'll okay. Run down at the story. Okay, so you'll remember Nathan Tumbridge from a f- quite a few episodes ago now. He was in Wellington, and of course, we took him to Ivy. Ivy. I wanted yeah. to say cruise. No. I'd gone, I'd transported to Christchurch. And we left. Actually, it's really funny because Nathan and I left and went to Lord of the Fries. Yeah, and, without me. Yeah. <laughs> you knew, though. Yeah, yeah, I was busy for you know. <laughs> and then Jason followed after and saw us yeah. by fate. Yes. First moment of fate. Uber, but yeah. Yeah. Then lovely girl. I hear this. Steph! Oh, no, wait. That's your name. Jason! <laughs> Jason! Oh, and I got into a full argument with someone because oh. I, I meant to like go back in there because the guy was being so rude to the staff and yeah. I was sticking up for the staff. Yeah, okay, boomer. Yeah, it was awful. Same. Yeah, stop, stop listening. Yeah. Um, and we're walking down Cuba Street yeah. and I see someone. It was like a mirage. <laughs> this well-dressed person. So well-dressed. And I'm like, God, that looks like beep. <laughs> and, and then, then they turn around. And who is that? <laughs> oh my gosh, it is. And we chatted, we reconnected. Yeah. And they said, you should come to Wanganui and see my show. And we said, sure. sure. And that was the narrative of the whole weekend was, yeah. if someone invites us to do something, they better get ready because we're coming. So let's tell the listeners a little bit about our guests and then we can get more into our weekend in Wanganui. Yeah. So we have been following, oh, maybe this is like a little bit of confessing that we're stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> we have been following our guest since being introduced to him by a 
friend of the pod, Jess Reeves, hey Jess, in 2011, then playing with his band in tow as Tono and the Finance Company, his songs were the soundtrack to our early 20s. Now based in Wanganui, his latest release, Matura Paper Mill, doesn't only sound brilliant, but brings to the forefront a story most New Zealanders don't know that much about and would be shocked to know the story behind. We are so excited to hear about how he brings these amazing works to life. Please welcome to Kick Ons, Anthony Tonin. Hello. 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 How are you? We're great. Oh, We're so great. Hi. Yeah, Kafai, feeling great. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. We've got the fire going. Um, nice. Sort of quite quite relaxed. It's late at night. It's it's good. It's good. Good evening. It's good. You're drinking something. What are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking uh, the Big Pigeon Pilsner from Kiriru. Oh, nice. Oh, we had some of the beer from Wanganui, and now I can't remember what the name of it is. Yeah, what's the brewery in Wanganui? Um, selling beers at your gag is delish. Oh yes, lads, yes. lads, lads. That's it. Yeah, it's a bit of it's a bit of a laddish name, but they do make very, very great beer. Yeah. It was really um, nice. Yeah, mm. really hit the spot after a long day working. <laughs> yeah, in a quick drive to Wanganui from Wellington, way closer than I thought. Everyone, for my first time in Wanganui. Thank you for having me. Yeah, sorry. Oh, you've never been there before. No, no neither of us has. Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. No. I know. It's mm. shameful. Yeah. Popped my cherry. Yeah. Really hard. It was honestly a great night. <laughs> so we went to see Tono at the Opera House, which is such a gorgeous building. You must mm. have played there That's quite the on- a bit. Um, no, only only one other time, I think, um, with the chills. Um, no, when I just moved to Wanganui, I was on, on tour with the chills. And we played there. Um, but it's amazing because if you've ever been to the Wellington Opera House or uh, maybe if you're a bit older, you've been to the St. James in Auckland, um, you know, the Whanganui Opera House is an opera house of the same kind. Um, but instead of being designed for, say, 1,500 people, it's designed for 800. So it's a two-thirds size opera house. But it's also in perfect condition. It's been really, really looked after. Um, since the 1980s by volunteers. So much so that in 1999, um, the Queen made it a royal opera house. So it's the only, it's the only royal opera house in New Zealand. Um, and, um, as far as I know, in terms of its, its exact era and the Victorian era and the fact that it's made completely of wood, it's the only, um, opera house or, or Victorian theatre of its kind left in the Southern Hemisphere. So it's so very crazy. special. Yeah. It's so special. It's, the ceiling was incredible. It's like a sky, yeah. a, day, a bright blue sky. I yeah. I felt like I was kind of in Phantom of the Opera a little bit. Like in yeah. The, yeah, and Rob. And if you look backstage, there are giant posters with Rob Guest, who was the famous Amazing. New Zealander who did Phantom of the Opera, and, and he used to come there and and play. And they, and they have a um, they have an opera school every year, and um, and that uh. opera school, um, a couple of the members of Solimio went to, and they'll quite often come back to Wanganui and do like a special little gig, and um, so so Wanganui's got this connection with with opera. Um, 
Yeah, it's it, it's so cool. it's an incredible thing. I mean, I remember it was one of the things that actually drew me to Whanganui, um, that opera house. Yeah, absolutely. Talk us through planning a gig before level two happened, and then having to like quickly readjust what you were doing. You changed one session to three with a hundred people mm. in each. Was that pretty easy to sort out, or was it a bit of a stressful time? Yeah. It wasn't too bad. I mean, um, actually, what we had planned originally, we were in level three when I was first planning the show, and um, I was thinking about doing a virtual show, but instead of um, my bedroom um, <laughs> covered with railway posters, um, I thought, <laughs> I thought, well, why not have a, a beautiful opera house as the backdrop? Um and then level two happened, and then we thought, oh, well, maybe it'll be a socially distanced 100-person show. And then level one happened, and everybody forgot about it. And um, then we were sort of just thinking, well, let's just sell tickets and see who we can get. Um, so when level two happened, again, it wasn't too bad because it was like, well, we did kind of talk about what level two would look like. Um, and I've done lots of shows because I, I sometimes plan a planetarium. I have a show called A Synthesized Universe. Yeah, that's so And in that show, your venue is only, I mean, the Dunedin Planetarium only fits 42 and the Auckland one fits 87. So I'm quite used to doing three shows in a night. So the, the easy part was playing three times in a night and that that's, mm-hmm. that's fun for me. Um, but the hard part was... Uh, and actually, very, people were very generous about it. I, I, I emailed the people who'd bought tickets already um, a week out and said, hey, would anybody be willing to move to an early session or a late session? And within a night, we'd moved all the people we needed to move and we were able to keep it, um, you know, including staff, keep it all under 100. And in a room that's nice. built for 800, so there's plenty of space. Yeah, that was awesome. Did you? How have you found creatively through the pandemic and lockdown? Have you felt inspired or like gone the other way? Stifled. Stifled. <laughs> um, <laughs> or the I mean, same. I, I think I've been, I've kind of the same because I've been working for a long time now to try to develop a good at home process, mm. um, and that's actually quite hard. It's it's really hard to work from home at first. It's really it, it's it's a it's a many year struggle, I think, to learn how to um, motivate yourself and stop yourself looking at emails all the time and. Um, and, you know, like I do funny things, like I start the day with two hours of songwriting and I'm not allowed a coffee till I've done that. Um, it's like punishment. And, <laughs> it's like not punishment. No, Treat, just, just reward. In, yeah. incentive. Yeah, incentive. <laughs> incentive. Yeah. But also, also, I mean, it's also, and who knows how true it is or not, but that, that idea that... Um, Coffee's an adenosine blocker, and adenosine is one of the things that, um, while it also makes you sleepy, um, adenosine supposedly can help you make more abstract connections. So not having coffee while you're doing the songwriting thing is a way of maybe keeping your mind a bit more floaty. Um, 
So, you know, I have a structure. Of, uh, I, I, go, I, I get up, I, I start writing, and then after that I might be able to do whatever tasks there are that day. Um, but, the, the, but starting the morning by songwriting as well because so much of life now is pretending you can do stuff and talking to people and, ah. and kind of pretend, <laughs> pretending you're really good. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and like I find <laughs> that by sitting down and writing – Music in the morning, um, even if I don't get anything done, if I've, if I've actually sat there and, and done stuff and experimented and played, it gives me, it feeds my soul a little bit and make, maybe makes me a little bit more confident about all that other, you know, about spending the rest day, rest of the day in lies. Wow. Um, and and projection. You know. Yeah. Because you can, as an artist in this fucking world we live in, you can get so caught up in um, the rat race where you, and you forget that the things that make you happy are, you know, like creative. Mm. And and all that, and, and the problem is as well the way that, you know, we are also linked in with, um, you, you know, we're supposed to keep social media presences and all that stuff. But all of that is completely endless. Mm. completely endless there's there's never an end to how much you could do there and it's in the same way in terms of looking for opportunities and things like that there's never any end to the amount of emails you could potentially send um and so you you actually need to set up solid walls um and for me Having a rule where I start the morning, there's no internet, there's no, uh, there's no emails, there's no, uh, the only thing I keep on is my phone because now in this era when everyone uses Messenger or WhatsApp, um, nobody ever thinks to text you. And if they text you, it must be really important. Um, <laughs> text, I feel like I feel like I'm this I'm this person that uses texting, and it makes me feel like I've got a pager or something. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it, you know, setting up that wall where you don't have those distractions, um, and, and just and just being comfortable that you you know you don't have to get anything done either. I mean, a big part for me is. Um, Making music for no reason, um, mm. because how did you teach uh, you know, to do that? Well, well, I mean, it wasn't my idea. It was because uh, uh, when I lived in Auckland, I um I hung out a lot with people who went to art school there to Elam, um, and I had a friend who would always sort of you know tell me what she was learning, and we'd sort of you know share what we thought about art from different different practices and she she um said to me one time that she'd gone to an artist's studio and that artist had talked about the difference between having a practice and and working by commission and Mm. um the point was that if you just if you just accept a booking for a group show or something um every six months and then make work for that group show um then you're not you don't actually have a practice you're working by commission you're always mm. working to something you've been told to do um but a, having a practice is turning up in your studio and making art for no reason um and that was really attractive to me and so i always 
Um, I mean, it changes a little bit if I'm preparing for a show and kind of everything has to get turned towards the show. But those two hours in the morning for me are about making music for no reason. And for the first half hour, you, you usually feel completely stupid. Um, <laughs> but then you enter, you, yeah. you do quite often enter a little bit of a flow state and you start making some crazy stuff that you didn't expect to happen it's almost like Um, meditation in a way like that same kind of idea yeah maybe it is and 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 i do there's definitely a um there's definitely some kind of benefit mentally i do i do feel you know i take my holidays now like i used i used to think that as a you know as a musician i didn't i didn't work normal person hours i you know I worked weekends and I took off weekdays if I felt like it kind of thing. But now I love routine. And so um, I take off Saturdays and Sundays like a, like a normal person. And also I love like school, like Christmas holidays Mm. um, because now, now what I do at Christmas and new year holidays is I don't do any songwriting. Um, And it's so great. It's like because that's my holiday. Because I do, you know, I do wake up dreading going to the piano um, because it feels like work. But once I'm there, I feel really great. And I, but I also feel after too long off after a holiday, if I've taken too long off doing that songwriting every morning, then I feel more anxiety and I feel it becomes more difficult for me to tell people what I do and believe in myself as I do that. I guess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's so fair. I love the, um, that as artists, a lot of people feel, I don't know if it's like shame or embarrassment or something to tell people that, you know, they're an actor or they're a painter or they're a musician or whatever, and then have people be like, oh, yeah, but what? what's your day job? Like, what do you do? It's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why would you even ask? That's such yeah. a New Zealand thing, though. And uh, a, f- a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine, Eleanor, was was at the show in Wanganui, and um, uh, I met Eleanor in um, in Auckland years ago. And she she's a theatre producer, and um, but she but she mostly lives in or lived in Wellington then. And we used to talk about how. Um, you know, if, if you go to a, if you go to Los Angeles or New York, mm. um, everyone will will say what they aspire to be. If someone asks you what you do, they do, you know, they, they will say, "Oh, well, I'm an artist, or I'm an actor, or, or whatever." Um, and, and they won't tell you that they also make coffee or, or whatever it is. Um, and you're starting to get that in Auckland, and you were starting to get that at the time that I lived in Auckland, like people being willing to say the aspiration first and mm. and not follow up but we we used to, we used to joke about how in Wellington it was the opposite like people would deliberately not tell you that they were an artist <laughs> or a musician they would just you would you would see these really you could tell that there were all these compelling people at a party that and other people were just drawn to them and then you would get to talk to them and you go oh what do you do and it's like oh i work at supreme 
no, no follow up. And, and and then you had to ask people. You had to ask around on the edges and go, oh, what do they really do? It's like, oh, they're actually amazing. Oh my god, they yeah. actually the podcast. <laughs> I work at Supreme. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah. What a guest. And there's so many musicians. There are so many. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. I think. Mm. As well, it's a bit of that tall poppy thing too, is no one kind of really wants to like promote themselves just in case it either doesn't work out or they look to be, I think we don't really like to um, promote ourselves as Kiwis. It's a very Mm -hmm. hard Mm -hmm. thing to do. Some people are good at it. I.e. Jason. (laughs) I'm not. I'm like. Yeah. I'm living in the like fake it till you make it um, universe. Great. Yeah. So nothing about this is real. <laughs> <laughs> shocking, shocking. Okay, Tono, tell us yes. what your life of the party is this week right now, something that is just amping you up in the realm of entertainment, pop culture, politics, you name it. Okay, cool. Um, well, actually, it's, it's, it's probably been a few weeks but th- this is the thing that's actually most affected me this year in terms of pop culture, and it took me by complete surprise. And that was, um, gosh, I don't even know the name of it. But what is the Netflix Michael Jordan documentary that everyone watched? Oh, this year? The Last Dance. Yeah, yeah. The Last Dance. So you know, good. I I just didn't. I, well, you know, I I just I I guess I was looking for something to watch, and and it was in the middle of um, level four. And I just got so affected by it. I How just, so? I, I was like, I'm just going to casually watch this. Yeah. And then I would just not be able to sleep afterwards after watching <laughs> an episode. I would, um, I think for me, I guess I don't think about, I'd never really strongly identified with the 90s and with, because I, remem- I remember it a little bit, but watching, Watching this documentary, um, it wasn't even memories. It was, it's more like sense memories, just like seeing those clothes, seeing the basketball cards, um, remembering going to see Space Jam at the yes. movie theater. Um, it did just bring, I guess, like I've watched documentaries all my life, but they've always been set in like the seventies or, you know, some era I didn't live through Mm. or remember. So to see that kind of historical treatment, but I was there, (laughs) you know, like every time I see them go somewhere or do something, I think, wow, at this point I'm sitting somewhere in the world. Yeah. That's so cool. Fairfield school or whatever. Um, And we're talking about, you, you know, um, Shaquille O'Neal or, you know, the, the Orlando magic and, and things. So, so that was powerful, but also it's just, it's very, it's a really, um, there's just a really heightened sense of drama to it and, and mm. like a real Shakespearean kind of tragedy to it. Um, because, and it just says so much about pursuit and what does it mean to succeed at stuff and is it worth it? And why do you do it? And, and you know, you like you see, like you watch, <laughs> you watch Michael Jordan win the first championship that they win. Well, you well, at first you see him come as an, and in as this this fresh he's, yeah, young he's so guy, young, yeah, 
Yeah, you know, and like the the goody good guy who doesn't drink and doesn't doesn't kind of act up with with all the older players, and then he just casually plays an entire seven championships <laughs> without ever winning, without it really even getting close to winning one. Um, mm. You know, that's so much of your life to give when people are already saying that you're a great player, but but then you you don't win, and then. Yeah. He finds a way to win, but that way is is a real devil's deal because he starts to he realizes that he has to be able to he he can't just shape himself he has to shape the other players mm. and he finds it by bullying and being really mean um and and you know that first championship that he wins um and he's so happy and you see him crying and everything and but then the next year, he's a little bit less elated about winning. And the next mm. year, he's just like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, he's lost all. You can see that all the all that joy has gone out of it. Um, and then I think the big moment for me is, you know, he, he goes away. He does does baseball. He becomes a better guy again. He's just a he's just a lowly member of a crappy baseball team. <laughs> but he's just seem he seems he seems happy and contented and all that kind of stuff. But then but and then he comes back and you're like, okay, great, he's coming back and then you see him like struggle to get his body back into shape. Um and you know all that montage and like the playing all the games in space while filming Space Jam just all this incredible work and you're like okay well this is going to be good he's going to go back he's going to win the championship again and he's going it's going to be just like um it's going to be just, just like, like uh the the first one and then when they win that championship um like there's this amazing cut where one moment he's they've got the trophy and then the next moment he's lying on the ground crying because his dad's dead, mm. you know, and it, and it's just, it was just so painful and so affecting. And um, yeah, it's just such, there's just such a profound unsettling anguish to it. Yeah, yeah. But we're I kind of, I don't know if I would have watched it if it wasn't for lockdown, yeah. and yeah. I'm so glad I did. Yeah, I'm like, this is the first time I've been like, okay, I need. To do that. <laughs> we've probably talked about like three times. Yeah, so, yeah. Like you have just really s- described that in a way. Where I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm Michael Jordan though. Well, I think because he's a person that we all know is really famous and was really good at what he did, but we being so far removed and basketball not really being a thing here. And it was when we were young, Mm. we don't know a lot about it. And so it was, it's kind of cool to like go back and look and imagine like being in the thralls of it and being a Bulls fan and just like how much you would have just died for that team. I think we can also relate because we have that culture here. Like we understand what it's like for a person to feel like the top of the top in a game like that. Like Wait, our like, All Blacks. Jonah Lomo. Yes, yeah. I always think of Jonah when I think of Michael Jordan because they're both yeah, young, true. they're yeah. both kind of from, yeah. you know, Oh, my God, have sticks. you even been to the rugby museum that's on the drive <laughs> yeah. to Wanganui? No, where is it? Um... Before, before Bulls? Town? Yeah, oh, before, yeah, just before Bulls. Oh, really? Yeah, there's okay. a rugby museum. Samson? I haven't... 
I'm sure. No, I don't actually know. We'll put in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I was like, oh my God, New Zealand is so amazing that they've got a full rugby museum in the literal middle of nowhere yeah yeah so random we did thinking yeah we did go to the pottery museum i was gonna say the ceramic museum oh the rick the rick rudd museum yes yes the quartz i think we met it's amazing yeah yeah well he runs it yeah Yeah. okay we met rick yeah 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 i told him you know what's up rick (laughs) yeah (laughs) he does know what's up did he agree he yeah. He made me put my bag on the ground because I look like a thief. <laughs> no, it was in case you broke something. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. I assume. Yeah. It's, it's, it is incredible what Rick's done. I mean, that, that museum, if you are going through Pahanganui, it's something. It's three floors of pottery, both, um, you know, this pretty amazing collection of all Rick's contemporaries, a lot of whom yeah. have died now, and Rick's Rick's still going and making these incredible. He was making um, something like us. Imp- oh wow! He was making something. His impossible here. teapots. Yes, yes. so yeah. cool. Yeah. Rick, yeah. Shout, yeah. Out. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Rick. You're a bit of a like history um, buff, aren't you? I was going to say nerd, but both works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and. I feel like that shows in like the shows that you put on and the like the music that you write. How did you find like merging those two worlds together? I feel like I haven't really heard an artist do it quite in the same way that you have. Ah, uh, well, it's actually quite yeah. It's maybe quite new that I found a way to do it. Um, I guess when I created this show called Railland where the audience comes with me on a train. Um, the, you know, I mean, I, I write songs. Like, that's the main thing that I consider I do. But I don't actually finish that many of them that often. Like, I do two hours every morning. But you might only get half a dozen a year. Like, um, I consider those things to be, like, perfect but impossible things to make. Um, and... They're kind of, I, I am willing to put as much time as it takes to make those things, I guess. Um, but, and then I, and then I do shows using those, those songs. And uh, Railland came along and I knew that I wanted to do the show where I took the audience on trains to get to uh, a beautiful music venue. Um, I didn't know what the show was going to be, but I assumed it was probably just going to be that I would play my songs uh, in a set list Um, and, you know, do what I've always done between songs, which is is say something hit or miss, like, hi, everyone, thanks for coming. Um, (laughs) But when I was preparing the show for the, the first year that I did Railland, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like I had finished yet. It, feel, it felt like I couldn't just offer the experience of ta- making everybody get on a train and go somewhere amazing. I needed to shape the show in a different way too. And I started making these sort of synthesizer soundscapes um, and then talking over them um, in a kind of, I guess, it, they became like soliloquies, but I would tell the history of something or you know i would i would tell a tell a a narrative or a story about something that kind of 
started to interweave the songs into this wider picture. And um, that was completely new. And, 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 you know, I've been, I've been making music for, you know, more than a decade now. And nothing like that had ever come along. But it was really great that it came along because I didn't feel, looking back, I didn't feel complete just going to venues and playing pop songs of a, of, of a sort. Um, and I all, and there was always that anxiety, and I've seen that in other musicians as well, is once you do get to a point where you can do music, you know, and you feel pretty fulfilled doing music and you, you maybe even make most of your income from doing music, um, then you start to go, well, maybe I should have done something else. Maybe this isn't doing anything for the world. Um, and that kind of crazy voice over synthesizers um, became my answer. It became, a, mm-hmm. oh, you do this. I don't know anybody that does that in the same way. Um, so I'll, I'll just keep doing it because it's just a weird, strange thing. Um, and I guess the show had a little bit of that as well, the, the one that I did at yeah. the opera house. Totally. I loved that. Like the, that was how you opened. You sort of talked about, um, the story behind like Matura Paper Mill, which I would love for you to give us like a real short history about the actual (laughs) history and then how you came to write that song. But you spoke it at the beginning over the since. And then I think from memory, you played it at the the actual song at the end. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about it because I'm fascinated by the story. And in the last few days, it's kind of popped up again in the media. Mm, mm. Um, well, yeah. Tell us, take us on a journey to the paper mill. Well, I guess so. Um, the Matoda paper mill has been there for 140 years. It was, you know, one of Southland's biggest employers. I didn't even know the building existed until 2017 when I was in the back of a tour bus with the Chills. Um, and we were going, and you, to get to Invercargill, a lot of people dodge um, gore by going mm. through Matoda instead. Um, and then when you do that, that road goes over this bridge and then in the middle of the bridge you see just this incredible sight it's 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 like what did i it's like me and fr- friends have been calling it like rust belt spiritual it's <laughs> i just had this incredible experience sitting in the back of a van and suddenly being aware that i'm in the middle of this just at that right spot in the bridge, you feel like you're on the waterfall. It's and it's like all those images of Niagara Falls, but then combined with like a Captain Planet um, industrial wasteland, <laughs> um, and 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 it, it is just striking this this incredible building, which is obviously there because at one stage it could be powered by the river, um, and. and so I, I just had the image and I, and I do, you know, I say, I say in the song, if you search the photograph, um, which I'm really happy with because really, I mean, if you Google the photograph, yeah. that doesn't sound wrong. <laughs> that doesn't sound right in a song, but yeah. if you search out the photograph does. Yeah. And, um, 
I do I do encourage anybody to to just Google Matoda Paper Mill and you'll you'll kind of see what I mean. Um and so I just saw that image and then I, I came back home after that tour and I did some research on it and then I, I learned about what was happening at the Matoda Paper Mill, which is crazy. Um you see that like the paper mill only closed in the year two thousand. And I've since learnt from um from uh, Fergus Barrowman from VUP that he remembers Matoda having the best paper um, mm. for, for making books worth. Um, but after it closed in the year 2000, they closed it, but they said they were mothballing it, quote unquote, which mm. is something that um, happens a lot now. So are we mothballing it? Maybe we'll be able to use it again in the future. But um, within 15 years, um, it was being used to store toxic waste. And the way that that happened was that a company came to New Zealand. They were based in Bahrain. Um, uh, but and they, and they went to the TY Point aluminium smelter, um, which and the, and the smelter has all this kind of dangerous waste that comes out of the aluminium smelting process. And this company said, hey, we give us the money to get rid of your waste and what we will do is turn it into fertilizer. It'll be like recycling. Um, and everyone said, great, you're going to create all these jobs. We're going to recycle. Great. What's to, <laughs> what, <laughs> what could go, possibly what's to go lose? wrong? <laughs> and so once they got this $5 million contract, they create, the, of course, this is the first thing that happens. This international company then created a New Zealand company um, listed in New Zealand. And, of course, it was a limited liability company. Um, and they quickly found out it was a little bit too hard to actually turn the toxic waste into fertilizer. So instead, they just took advantage of all the cheap buildings and land in Southland to stockpile toxic waste everywhere they could. Um, and so there were tens of thousands, and there still are, there are tens of thousands of tons of um, partially processed toxic waste, uh, not just in the Matoda paper mill. The Matoda paper mill had ten thousand one-ton bags of this of this stuff that they call um, Uvea Premix, which is really just crushed up aluminium dross. Mm. Um, but they also put it on this giant farm out in Southland. They put it in other kind of old industrial buildings, um, and. The, the thing that happens is that if this substance comes into contact with water, then it creates ammonia. And so it could form this big ammonia gas cloud that can burn throats and lungs. Um, and anyway, so at the end of five years, they, uh, this Rio Tinto kind of realized that, that these guys were kind of not doing anything. Mm. And so they didn't renew their contract. Um, and so this company then just declared bankruptcy um, and Ernst & Young came in as the liquidator and they said, good news, everybody. Well, good news and bad news. Bad news is there's no money. Good news is you now own a lot of premix. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, you being the government and Gore District Council um, – and so, 
And I mean, all sorts of other crazy things happened. Like before they folded, they were putting in the putting the um, the stuff in the Matoda paper mill, but they didn't have resource consent. And um, the district council there gave them a retroactive resource consent. Um, but the condition of that was they were supposed to pay a million dollar bond, and or a bit more than a million dollars. But um, instead of paying the bond. They were like, cool, yep, thank you for our resource consent. About that bond, we're taking you to court to appeal the bond. And that bought them three months. And then they then they folded and uh, made themselves bankrupt. Oh my but, but something that doesn't get covered in a lot of media coverage of this whole story is that the company still exists. Mm. The, co- the, the international company still exists and still operates and still makes money. And it, it, whereas... Any article you read on this, I guess because they're fearful of litigation or something, mm. um, will say this company went bankrupt. Uh, and I just think we do this real double think thing in New Zealand where we allow limited liability companies to suddenly exist and then suddenly um, disappear, disappear <laughs> and, and leave, us with the, leave us with the mess. Yeah. And so a fire broke out this week close to that's what i read but i'm not sure how in the same building yeah 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 which obviously if that caught fire the ammonia who knows what would happen i mean yeah they say that it wouldn't be that bad but um i mean uh, earlier on in the year there were sprinklers and then of course in um, uh, you know, the, earlier on in the year, sprinklers went off and um, there was risk of it getting wet. And then before that, of course, there was a big flood. Mm. And um, so th- these, these uh, but for me, you know, like I'm really interested in small, small towns in New Zealand or smaller towns that aren't considered cities, but they're also not considered the country. It's this urban, rural mm. sort of space because a, a lot of New Zealanders used to live and towns like Matoda, um, you know, my, my father grew up in Morrinsville. I live in Whanganui now, which has had similar problems with with kind of um, de-industrialization, I guess. Um, and, mm. you know, I just, it, just, it just kind of amazes me that we still kind of think of ourselves. I, I still see so many articles about how beautiful a country we are. But I, I drive around the country a lot mm. and we're not that beautiful. We've got a lot of this stuff. We've got a, we've got a rust belt. I mean, I remember people telling me when I first toured America, oh, you know, oh, when you see the Rust Belt, it's so ugly, you know, or mm. when you see the Midwest, it's so, um, you know, it's so intense with all the farming and stuff. And it's like, I see all that stuff in New Zealand all the time. And I think we just kind of blind ourselves to it a little bit. Totally. We just were in Timaru going down via to Dunedin and I, that's where I grew up. And there was so, everyone in was saying, yeah. Cool. And lots of people saying like, oh, you know, town's deserted. There's so many empty buildings. And I was kind of thinking, oh yeah, whatever. But we would walk, we walked down the main street building after building was just empty or for rent. It was so wow. sad. I think there's yeah. been, there hopefully should be, could be a big push to get people back into the regions to make them cool because I've had so many conversations this week with people being like, my gosh, just went to Wanganui and it's amazing. Like there is such a cool crowd of creative people and it's Mm. bringing back like a life to a small town. Maybe I could do it. We had that conversation. 
Yeah. And a, and a lifeboat for Wellingtonians. Absolutely. <laughs> Who will never be able to buy houses here. Tiny houses. Oh, yeah. Tiny yeah, houses. we're going to build a tiny house commune. Yeah. Oh, that's we actually good. stayed yeah. in a tiny house in um, Wanganui, and the woman who owned the tiny house, we told her we were going to see you, and we suggested that you were the future mayor of Wanganui. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, she, didn't, she didn't fully agree with us, yeah. but if you need any campaign that yeah. <laughs> We're here. Oh, great. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> so how did the story behind the mill that how did the song then eventuate? Well, I guess I I just knew I wanted to write a song about it and um I came up with the first verse and then uh, that's always that's always the hard bit after that. Um but I was doing this show, I was developing um, the show, A Synthesized Universe, which is the one in planetariums. And I told the animator that I wanted to do something using um, the image of the Matoda paper mill um, in that sort of 360-degree planetarium dome. And he liked that idea so much that he kind of forced me to finish the song. Um, and, and that was great because then we used mm. his drone footage he took of the Matoda paper mill um, in the show, and then also to make a little um, one-shot music video as well. That's cool. Tell us about some of your like personal musical or artistic influences, because to me, when I hear you and see you perform, I get like a bit of Bowie, all that kind of thing. Who did you listen to when you were growing up and sort of connect to and that have influenced you and through till now? Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I, I Bowie is funny. I, I guess like I taught myself guitar with David Bowie. Mm. Um, I just learned, I think I learned Starman, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. What's that one? I forget how that goes. I learned I learned about four or five songs, um, all on the key of G. And then I decided I could play guitar and then I just kept going. Um but that you know that was when I was a teenager. But honestly, I've been thinking about this because you you always get asked about influences, and the Honestly, the thing that's influenced me the most all throughout my development is is actual physical people that I see play. Um, mm. and, and it was my friends, you know, like, or or, or or at least like national bands rather than, um, yes, rather than international thing. ones. <laughs> you, you know, like, um, for me, you know, I grew up in this, this interesting community in Dunedin playing music and the years after, you know, well after the sort of quote unquote Dunedin sound was, mm. was kind of over. Um, and so no one was paying any attention to us um, down in Dunedin, um, but we were paying attention to each other and kind of, you know, competing and learning from each other and having arguments about yeah, how to write songs and how we should sing and, um, that. All that kind of stuff, and so bands like Haunted Love and um, uh, a band that's co- now called Hardy Unclear, but were called many different things, mm. um, and had different side projects. Um, 
back then. Um, that's that's who influenced me, you know. I mean, that's how cool. can you get influenced that much by something you just watch on the screen? Yeah, some... it's about it's about seeing real shows. I mean, I, I, the Phoenix Foundation, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, cool. Beck, Beck Runger, uh, you know, like those are the things. I remember reading. Um, I remember reading Tearaway magazine, which was made in Whanganui. I've mm. since learned. Um, and there was, they used to have an interview with an artist, and one week it was Fat Freddy's Drop, and they said, kind of like you guys do, you know, what's your nugget of wisdom? Fat Freddy's Drop was, don't get a real job. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't. And and Bikurunga's nugget of wisdom, well, no, it wasn't a nugget of wisdom. They asked her, what's your favorite chord? And she said, F sharp seven. <laughs> and so I went and learned that chord, you know, and it was a very That's helpful so chord. Cool. That's so great. Um, <laughs> I just think the the things that are more powerful influences are are the the people around you. You know, I love that. I love that. How did like with when you were with the finance company? Was that like a student band that you were with your mates? And then how did you then? get to where you are now like are you with a label or are you independent um well you know we we, we were always very ambitious well uh, ambitious and not ambitious i mean we were in dunedin at a at a really funny time when there was this promise that the internet was going to allow you to reach people without going to them um, and, and, but it was just hopelessly untrue. <laughs> uh, you know, and you look back at what MySpace was and it's like, this was uh, never going to yeah. work. Um, and, um, and so, and it was, it was also a time when people were flocking to large cities despite having the internet and everything and being told that we were going to all be able to work remotely and stuff. Um, actually all the energy was going into large cities and it was actually kind of a, it was kind of a hard time to keep going in Dunedin and feel like no one was watching and the energy was all up somewhere else. Um, but you know, so we, we were a Dunedin band and we had a great scene there and we played to that scene and then we would go and tour, we would go and play Christchurch and, Eventually, we started going to Mighty Mighty and Wellington and um, Whammy Bar in Auckland and things. And and eventually, I um, when when you leave Dunedin, you're allowed to tell people if you move to Melbourne or Wellington. And if you're not moving to those places, then you just don't tell anyone. Um, so <laughs> I, I just I just left one day on a jet star flight with oh with two gosh. suitcases. And um and secretly went to Tamaki Makoto, um, Whoa, this and is uh, Whoa. <laughs> and from and but it was a great time. It was a really um I, I got to say like in when I moved to Tamaki Makoto, it was a really lovely. I mean the city was just so bad, and everybody knew it. Like the way that it worked, <laughs> the way it had b- terrible public transport. Everybody and. It had had 10 years of being beaten down by Wellington, like everybody artistic knowing that Wellington was so much cooler. But the great thing about it was when I got there in 2010 in Auckland, people were just like, oh my God, 
you've moved here. This is great. Let's That's do stuff cool. together. Um, whereas I actually think at the same time, Wellington was so used to people turning up from Dunedin that they were kind of like, oh, so you're going to move here? Oh, yeah. Mm. And you'll need a job and a flat. Mm. And, you know, maybe that'll be my flat or my job, you know. Like, cities have their rhythms. Mm. They have their good times and bad times. And um, anyway, so I I hung out in Auckland for a, a long time. And mm. um, I started touring outside of New Zealand. But to do that, I, I had to pretty much play by myself because um, I couldn't afford to bring bands. So I started touring mm. Australia and I, I started doing tour swaps with um, – with some artists in the US, particularly from Seattle and Portland, the sort of Pacific Northwest, where where people, which is where I guess people feel um, a little bit like they are New Zealanders already. Mm. Um, There's sort of similar, there's similar sort of mindset of having the same weather. And um, <laughs> later later on, I did a bit more touring, and I, I toured with my friend Nadia Reed in Europe. Um, I got to be her support act and tour manager, and so I just, I, I guess I just got around and did, did yeah. what I could, and I, I got a label in the states and things. But in the last couple of years, what I realised is that I, I was really trying to do the, I guess, the indie music dream at that time, which was very much um, just throw stuff at a wall and play every dive venue you could in the world until, you know, the right label came along to just make you famous. Mm. Um, And it doesn't work for everybody. It's about as likely to work as a lottery ticket maybe, or maybe, maybe like 10 lottery tickets, maybe the odds are slightly better. Um, But in the last few years, I've really focused on my, New Zealand audience, and I've also focused on things like um, creating these shows that are more higher value experiences, like mm. like putting people in a planetarium or taking people on a um, journey by rail. Um, because what I found is that I guess indie music had this model where you were going to have these fans, but you were going to get so little income from each one of them. You were going to make like seven cents from each one of them. So you needed a million fans or you gave up or you got a side job. Yeah. Or I guess a side hustle or something. And what I've sort of found is that is if if you kind of take a step back from that and go, well, hang on, a plumber doesn't have a million fans. A plumber <laughs> doesn't say, you know what? I'm just going to give my plumbing out for free and then maybe – you know, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's going to be, be really respected and, and then, you know, some opportunities will come through that. Like, well, a plumber doesn't need this many fans paying this little money. And, and also I started looking at my shows and thinking, you know what? It's so hard to get people to listen to anything mm. on the internet. It's so hard to get people to watch a video or, or, or whatever you want to do. And yet musicians can get like, 20 people or 30 people to leave their house to like, like leave it and actually not watch any television for two hours, not see an ad, like 
just be there. And mm. um, there's incredible power in that. And and I guess the big moment for me was when we when we first did Railland and we made a train exist in Dunedin because I realized that if I could convince 150 people to come to a show in Dunedin, all I had to do was convince them to pay another 30 bucks each. And then we could make this train that the government said and the city council said and everybody said, oh, this train isn't economically viable. We could make it economically viable for one one night. Um, wow. So I like think, a, yeah. It's a form of like protest or something. Kind you know? of. Like a more exciting way to be like, guys, we're actually doing this. So listen up. Yeah, it's 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 a protest by doing stuff. Yeah, it's like it's it's like a it's doing what people say can't be done by doing it, and then going, mm. well, I did it, and I'm just yeah. a musician. Yeah. <laughs> but we talked about that a bit on Saturday night. Was the relationship between like artists and political messaging, and you know how important that is, but also it's a fine line because there's so much that you could talk about. There's so much that you could just end up saying, cause sounding a bit like a broken record or inauthentic, but from you, because you have like that passion behind it, like we can see the train posters, you know, it, <laughs> it reads so true. And then that also translates into your music. And I guess it's still like, quality over quantity in terms of yeah you might not be selling out arenas like i don't know justin bieber but you're giving people who really want it this like amazing quality experience that they will take away like we were clutching each other at one point on saturday night we were like this is incredible taken to church yeah started um doing like your hand movements and i was like this is not a show that i've ever seen before yeah something special i hope there are more on the way yeah so obviously (laughs) you've just finished up um your three shows at the opera house do you automatically go okay, what's next? Or do you give yourself like a little bit of time? Because I mean, now New Zealand is like, it's shut down and we need right. Yeah. Something to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'm lucky this year and that I already, I'm, I mean, the, the other great thing about the Railland show that I do is that I worked out very early that it was going to be a yearly show because I rewrite it every year and I make new weird bits for it. Um, it's a different show. So the same people, the same, uh, and I guess Railland is, is pretty, the first two years have been pretty focused uh, or the people that have come have been, I guess my pretty committed fans. Um, but because I try to re- rewrite it every year, the idea is that I can actually do it every year in summer, around generally around December. And so that, that gives me a structure. I might not have an album out every year, but I will have a new Railland show I need to take around the country in November, December. So um, I'm preparing for that at the moment. I know that I've got a – there's a group called Arts on Tour based out of Christchurch um, who – have asked me to do that show around 20 provincial towns in wow. November. Um, so I'm playing all sorts of places like Fairley and Geraldine and nice. um, 
or Portiki. Um, so so that'll be that'll be really exciting. And then and then I I, I will, I'm hoping to be able to bring a new version of the show to places like Wellington, Auckland, um, Dunedin at the end of the year as well. Amazing. But, yeah. um, has, time has shown we will travel. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, it's, it's also nice. The great thing about Railland and the thing that I think is just so magical is when it um, when it works right, you can get people who live in the middle of a city or close to the middle of a city to just go to their, you know, their bus interchange or their um, railway station, and they just turn up and they get transported. And and transported back, and so it's like this holiday, but you don't need to pay for the accommodation. Um, so good, I love that. Should we say the mantra? Yeah. Okay. Mantra. All right. Two thousand and one to two thousand and eight. There ain't a song that we hate. Now, as you know, we have a playlist that we like to add, or each guest to add a song to. Yeah, and I just want to say mm-hmm. that. Tono found the playlist. <laughs> so he's better than all of you. Yeah, so it can be done. <laughs> he needed some help, but we found it. Yeah, those two hands he did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Two free hands, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, what song are you going to add to our playlist for our lovely listeners to wash the dishes to? I am going to add um, Say It Right by Nelly Furtado. Um, from 2006. Oh my goodness. What does say it right mean to you? Um, it was just one of those songs that I always loved. And I just, I remember seeing the music video on, on C4 or maybe, yeah. was uh, it, would it even have been playing on C4? Surely. Surely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Was yeah. It, during the like Timberland phase. Oh, yeah, the Timberland face. It was, yeah. it was, it was peak Timberland, <laughs> and he was on the video. Yeah, and do, all do, he did do, in the do, video do, was do, just do, turn do. up every now and then and go, yeah. hey, hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, but I loved that a. Eh? And you know, when you listen to the way that I did Matoda Paper Mill the other day, I had that ding. Ding on the offbeat with the yeah. piano, and oh and God. I love songs that have a repetitive drone offbeat note. And yes. and um, say it right has that. Oh, oh my gosh! gosh. Eh. Inspired eh. by Timberland, eh. nonetheless. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I loved. Um, I guess I wasn't. I, people always think that, like, if you're from Dunedin, that you grew up like listening to um, tall dwarfs on vinyl. Or some yeah. kind of punishment, or the Gordons, or whatever. But the 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 truth is that anybody that grew up in Dunedin, their parents were probably a lot more working class. Like, mm. um, I remember meeting people from uh, Auckland and Wellington who'd grown up in Auckland and Wellington, um, and they would have these incredible um, collections of flying nun. Or, or they would be really into pavement or something like that. That and um, and they had grown up with that, like they had got that from their parents. But Dunedin wasn't like that growing up for me as a as a teenager. I didn't know anybody that was into flying nun because the tragedy is that a lot of the the people who were in Dunedin in the eighties they went away and got good jobs in Wellington or Auckland, mm. and so that the hip parents 
weren't around so much in Dunedin. <laughs> and so f- for me, I listened to commercial radio as a kid and I would sit by the telephone um, most evenings at a certain age and just like got really, really fast at dialing the like call this number Amazing. to be the ninth caller. So my first CD was um, was Billy's self-titled debut. Oh, Billy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Billy, Hunting to the Bee? Like, yes. Yeah. Oh my What's God. her last name? Billy Piper. Piper, Billy Piper. Yeah, she's just on yeah. that yeah. show that I've been watching this week. She's an actress now. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. she was wow. in Doctor yeah, Who. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what the show's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh, I love that. Mine but was I, I, Spears, so I've always same. had a soft spot for, um, you know, that uh, for pop music. Yeah. And I think I'm pretty sure by 2006 I considered myself, you know, too good for pop music, which is, <laughs> which is stupid. But it was pre the kind of I, I ironically or unironically love pop music era as well. But I just secretly loved that song a lot. And actually, the I when I um, released Two Free Hands, I I made a little playlist of songs that I felt went with that song, oh my and I gosh. put "Say It Right" at the top of it because there's something about the way the drum machines and and I think it's it's a great song to aspire to, really. I love and that. For those listening, if you want to love pop music, then you can. Okay? <laughs> yeah, this Just is a pop music <laughs> safe yeah. zone. Okay, that song well, I mean, awesome. it, I think, I, and I and I think most people do now. I I think it, it's a crazy idea to not like pop music now, especially we're in this era where um, I think. Uh, a lot of musicians would agree that the most crazy and risky stuff comes out of out of the mainstream pop world. Yeah, but um, but there was the only downfall of two thousand and one to two thousand and eight was that like holier than thou this this belief that somehow because you had you know a guitar, um, you know you were somehow better than pop. Yeah. More yeah. High then Britney yeah. out. I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to- Toxic must have been around uh, at a similar time. Yeah, and Toxic's on there. Thea, Thea actually added Toxic, which mm. was great. Yeah, she added two Britney yep. songs. She was she was a, had a special allowance because she couldn't decide, which is fair enough. Yeah, There is no deciding when it comes to Britney. <laughs> this has been amazing we thank you so much for coming on and joining us thank you for having us last yeah, weekend it was really fun it was amazing to to watch did you have a good time in Wanganui? what was your what was oh, yeah. your second day there like oh it was it started with a big headache <laughs> oh you're right um, we tidied up the tiny home yeah. yeah oh my god so we I had like lost some of my clothes oh, yeah. that I thought were oh, at no. the party, but I just left them in the taxi and the taxi driver <laughs> had dropped them off beside the tree that was outside this <laughs> tiny house we were living in. So we like drove, went to drive off and all my clothes were in the, <laughs> the driveway. pile in the driveway by the tree. <laughs> So oh, that's perfect. Clothes. Yeah. Then we went to a beautiful little cafe. We went to Castle Cliffs oh, yeah. because we ha- were going to go to the cafe there that I can't remember the name of right now. Citadel. Yeah. Yes. 
But it didn't open till 11 and someone needed yeah. food. I needed coffee before I wrote my songs. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we went for a walk on the beach when it was super windy. Then we went back. We went to Mud Ducks. We walked around. We ran into friends that we'd made oh, at the show. Ran into. Yeah, really which was nice. They're friends with Rose oh, Lou, cool. who did a oh, reading. At, yep. And Rose Lou, everyone did a reading while Tono played... The, the keyboard, the yeah. piano, which was amazing. Yeah, she's sick. Yeah, and then we kind of hit the road. Went for a little walk and then, yeah. Yeah, we loved it. We're going to be back. We will definitely be back. Yeah. Right. Now, everyone, please follow Tono on Instagram, Anthony.tonin, I want to say. Anthony Tonin. I think it, I think it's just Anthony Tonin, but it's hard to spell. But if you have a if you have a good go at it, then you 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 you'll likely find get it. there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just that yeah, we'll link it yeah. in the show notes, yeah. and we'll link um to Spotify where you can listen to all of Anthony Tonin's music. It's amazing. We just had it on before to get in the zone, and hopefully oh, yeah. we will see you at, on a train really soon. Great! I look forward to it. <laughs> Yay! Now you, we end every episode with a hangover. Is there a little nugget, just like F Sharp 7, that you would like oh. to leave our listeners with tonight, today? Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I, I, I think everybody wants you to believe that making good art of any sort you have to be born with it but i i think i think you don't have to be you can you can do it because you want to and i think if you want to that's as good as being born with it i love that (laughs) that's amazing thank you so much for joining us we can't wait to to see you soon yeah thank you thank you yeah you're welcome (laughs) gs so good it was so